feel that no one could really argue against that statement. On the other hand, the government was forced to have a limited force of military protection forces against the Jews. May God tell Abraham, while the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Abrahamic covenant is a nation that has two aspects, has a land aspect, has seed aspect, and a blessing aspect. The land aspect of the Abrahamic covenant is amplified in the Palestinian covenant. The seed aspect is amplified in what we study tonight in the Jewish covenant. And the blessing aspect is amplified in the New Testament. The Palestinian covenant, as we know in chapter 29, Verse 1, all the way through 30, verse 20. The seed covenant amplified in the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the passage we study tonight, also in its land aspect. 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 10 through 15. And the new covenant is found in Jeremiah chapter 31. An understanding of the covenant is fundamental to understanding what's going on in the Old Testament. Sometimes we get really, really confused by these things. But there need not be that much confusion. Just remember the Abrahamic covenant and Jacob's unconditional covenant is being dragged out of all covenants. It has three aspects, land, seed, and blessing. And then there were three covenants that amplified the three aspects of the Abrahamic covenant, the Palestinian, the Jewish, and the New Covenant. But they're all related back to the Abrahamic covenant. Now there's another covenant that the, the church of Harvard has, especially when you talk to the Jewish church, and that's the Mosaic Covenant. The Abrahamic Covenant is unconditional. The Mosaic Covenant is very, very conditional. Or was for the Jews. Now, under the Mosaic Covenant, if you obey God, you will bless you. If you disobey, you will curse. But that's not the way it's supposed to be in the Old Covenant. The Abrahamic Covenant is an unconditional covenant. Since the Abrahamic Covenant is an unconditional covenant, the covenants that amplify the Abrahamic Covenant are also Unconditional. In other words, the land, seed, and blessing aspects are also unconditional. Since they flow from the Abrahamic covenant, they're going to be unconditional as well. Tonight, though, we speak of the Davidic covenant primarily from 2 Samuel chapter 27. But again, it's also found in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. The Davidic covenant is a high watermark in the Old Testament. So when you hear the reference to 2 Samuel chapter 7, do not think of the Davidic covenant as extremely important. The Davidic covenant has five different aspects to it. In the Davidic covenant, David is promised that he will have a eternal house. Not a building, in other words, cedar or mortar, but the eternal house is a dynasty. And we'll see that as we go through this chapter. That'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 and 16. The second aspect of the Davidic covenant is that he will have a son on the throne. One of David's own sons. It turns out it's Solomon. David's not told that in the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7. Shocking that Solomon is even born yet at this time. It's a chronological issue we'll talk about in just a moment. But his own son Solomon was to be established on the throne after David. So this is a promise. It's a part of the Davidic covenant. The third aspect of the Davidic covenant is that Solomon, not David, would be responsible for building the temple, as in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. 
the fourth aspect of the covenant is that it's an eternal covenant. The throne of David and Solomon would be established forever. And there's an important note in this fourth point, the forever aspect of this covenant. It's not David and Solomon that will be established forever. It's the throne of David and Solomon that will be established forever. It's important to think the throne is what is the covenant. And finally, there's this interesting part of the book of the Great Covenant that will overlook sometimes, but that is that Solomon would be disciplined for disobedience. And Lord knows, he was disobedient. But God is not going to remove his loving kindness or his testimony from him. That's 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 14 through 15. Now that we have the outline here, let's take a look at the chapter itself in 2 Samuel. There's an important issue that I want to cover in the beginning about the timing of this chapter, the timing of the giving of the great covenant. Some Old Testament scholars hold that this chapter is not in chronological order, but rather that it's speaking to Adam. Those that hold that view would hold that this covenant was given to David not in the order of the execution of the covenant, but that the covenant was given to David actually after the Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite incident. See what I'm saying? They would hold that this is not in chronological order, but this is inserted here, but that the covenant was actually given after the incident with Bathsheba and David's Bathsheba and Uriah. They hold that because of what verse 1 says. Let me read the verse and see why someone might hold that. Now it came about when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, and then verse 3, that the king slept in the land of Israel. So they would hold that this time that he was given rest from all of his enemies must have been after David and Bathsheba, Uriah, and the Bathsheba and Amalek. But not necessarily so. The text does not indicate that this rest that was spoken of here was permanent rest. But this was a period of time when he was in the war. So after asking, and these I want to know all the various reasons, I lean toward the more traditional view that this is in chronological order, and that David was given this covenant before his great sin with Uriah, with Bathsheba, and his family. I can't say for sure. I certainly haven't talked to anybody who's looked at that. But I would, if some have a subconscious desire, Place the giving of this great covenant after David's murder of Uriah the Hittite because they can't fathom God giving this covenant knowing that David was going to sin and that he's going to be punished. Yes, God knew that David was going to sin and he blessed David anyway. This other lot of people can't. But God knew exactly what David was going to do over the course of his life, and he blessed him anyway, in spite of his foreknowledge, in spite of him knowing what he was going to do yesterday, and the day after that, and the day after that. But just who else was being blessed over the course of their lives, in spite of the fact that God knew that they would sin at some point in the future? Exactly. Thank you very much. Oh, I don't think that's against our argument to say that this must have been, this must be out of order. There are other aspects to this that are 
about the, the manifest of Moses. Before getting the specifics of David, I don't have another one that I don't have for you yet, but before David gets the specifics, God reminds David that he is the one that conveyed that this is the position that he came to God. He's a warrior. He's a governor. He's a thinker. Too often, at the great crisis in life, we tend to forget as leaders. We tend to forget that it's God who did it. So before this great covenant is given, God's going to remind David, I put you there. I want to break people up this way. I put you there. I think we start to read our own testimony and describe our own successes through our own efforts. God has to be used when we do that. I will no way discourage your efforts in that. But we should do the best we can with what God gave us. But we need to remember it's with what God gave us. And the ultimate reason for any of our success in life comes from God Himself. The ultimate reason for our success comes from God now, in the next two verses, we're going to get specific to the covenant. David is called the eternal house of Zion. We see that in the second half, verse 11, and then on down into verse 16. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. That's also the understanding. I see Zion people. He's not talking about a place that we're living in physically. He's talking about a Zion Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever, and your throne shall be established forever. This is a true balance. David could do it because the previous king, Saul, had a limited reign. He didn't have a dynasty. When Saul died, Jonathan didn't become king. And they could have said, well, any of the descendants that went away from Saul are like the David. So as David is now establishing, has been established, by God, he is ruler of Israel, he is successful, his enemies have been vanquished, Jerusalem has been vanquished. Now they're saying, I'm going to make your dynasty forever. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 and 13. The second aspect of the Davidic covenant, one of David's own sons, Solomon, was to establish on the throne after David. This is a, I'm going to get to the second one in the application of the first one. He's going to have a dynasty, but as his son, that's going to sit on his throne. So it won't be so much a slight phase of dynasty in Rome until his Caesar becomes Caesar again. He didn't have a dynasty then, so it's his grand nephew Octavius who is going to be the next emperor. Here it's going to be Solomon. Look at verse 12. From your days of increase, you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your descendants and your seed after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. One of David's own sons. Then in verse 13, Solomon's going to build a temple. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. There again, that it's not going to be Solomon that's establishing all this, but the throne that is going to establish all this. Then in verse 13, Solomon gets 
is an important lesson that we need to learn. By the way, the first Christian guy who was born really was a Pharisee. He said, No, he's not the Son of David. He's not the he's not the Messiah. He's an apostle and he's not the brother. And that's why we have to start to know that the Christian chapter is in the Bible is really important.
that I have spoken also in the house of thy servant concerning this future, and this is the testimony that the Lord God. And again, what more can David say to thee? For thou knowest thy servant very well again. David knew the Lord. He knew because that he had already done those righteous and real things that he had done up to this point. And again, sometimes we overuse the word those Christians that just say, well, you're a Christian, you're not mad, I was. You know, you know, don't you know those Christians are just And again, sometimes we believe that, and other times we have people that just own it. Pastor, that speak a lot worse than me. This is my this is my attitude. You say we we bless the Lord, right? Reason thou art great, O Lord God, and there is none like thee, and there is no God beside thee, according to all that we've heard of thy ears. And what one nation on the earth is like thy people Israel, whom thou didn't redeem for himself a people, as a people, and to make a name for himself, and to do a great thing for thee, and awesome things for thy land, and for thy people, whom thou redeemed for thyself a people to serve thee. Thou hast created the great and strong of thy people, saying to David. Certainly not my kids. 
God will have a much major speaker than he wanted. Maybe this was the speaker he wanted. It was Abraham. But the people didn't want to hear that Abraham was the one. They didn't see that. They know that the seed of the woman that will ultimately come to either one, either one of them is Jesus. The son will never see the, the seed of the woman that's going to pass through the line of Isaac, who wasn't perfect. And Jacob, who wasn't perfect. And Judah, who wasn't perfect. Have you ever wondered why that little story about Judah came on in that he wasn't perfect? And then tonight we find out that the Lamb of the Messiah is going to pass through two more of the children. And David is not going to be the same. He's not going to suffer. David is going to stand and be Jesus. This one is already promised. So this one is probably not even one yet. This is taking the rest of you. But this is his promise.